to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here, we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your host for Commission Ed. Reed, I am so excited to share this interview with you and with the rest of our audience because today's episode features Colonel Fred Thaden, my most recent boss in the Air Force while I was an instructor at Air Force ROTC. And I cannot tell you how much respect I have for this man and all the things that he is trying to do, not only for the Air Force, not only for the cadets, but for me personally, as I grow as a person, as an officer, he has had such an amazing and powerful and positive influence on my life. And I just respect him so much. Yeah. I really enjoyed listening to this. I'm certain our audience is going to get some really good info out of this discussion today. Yeah, really, this is a good one. We're, we always say we're excited, but we're excited because this is really fun, but this is a good one. Yeah, and I think you know it's allowable for us to be excited every time we do an interview, because if we came on and said, we're not so excited about this one. Yeah, they wouldn't have it. We wouldn't push it out. <laughs> we wouldn't push it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But for sure, this is a, a great conversation between me and Colonel Thaden. Just listening to his years of experience as a leader, as a senior officer in the Air Force, and all of the things that he's been able to do, not just operationally for the Air Force, but specific on the topic of officer development is really powerful and so timely for the conversations that we're having right now about accelerate change or lose and the development of officers in preparing us to be ready for the fight that's going to come next. Absolutely. And the opportunity to sit and listen to someone that has been in the position he's been in is pretty rare and pretty privileged. So I think our audience should feel pretty grateful that they get to hear what he's got to say. Absolutely. So with that, let's turn it over to Colonel Fred Thaden. Welcome, Colonel Thaden, to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here for a number of reasons. I've wanted to do this for a while. You know, you're no stranger to my interest in officer development. You're no stranger to the podcast. You're no stranger to me because you are my most recent boss in the Air Force. and. I've been anxious for a while now to bring you on the show, to talk to you, learn from you, as I have already done over the last year, and give you the opportunity, the platform, the forum, as it were, to teach me a few more things, as well as share some of your knowledge with the audience. So with that, sir, if you wouldn't mind, say hello and introduce yourself to the audience. All right, Colin. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. On the show, I'm excited that you and Reed are able to do this and have been quite successful with it, right? So there's a lot of interest, it would appear, in the topics that you all present. So I'm Colonel Fred Thaden, right? 
By the way, I still find it hard to believe that you were a cadet with my son <laughs> here at Detachment 855. And by the way, we are actually in Detachment 855 as we record this. We are. We are sitting at least six feet apart from each other right now because hashtag COVID. That's right. But we are staring at each other and having this conversation here at the place where both I, your son, and you, sir, began your Air Force journey. Right. And it was quite surreal. I guess that's the right word. When I stepped into this building about a year and a half ago to take over as the commander of the detachment where I attended ROTC back in the 80s, right? Right. Graduated in 91, and we happened to be in the room where I was a cadet, you know, putting together plans for the cadet wing and putting together events and, and so forth. So obviously it looks a little bit different, but it's in the same location, and it's pretty fantastic to be here. This is a dream job for me. This will be my last active duty job in the United States Air Force. I will reach 30-plus years in the summer of 22, and so that's when I will hang up my hat, and then whenever... Wherever Dee Dee wants to go is where we will go. That's right. After that, she's been following me around enough, so time for me to follow her. But I graduated detachment, Brigham Young University, and commissioned out of Detachment 855 in 1991. Uh, at the time, I was married, had been married a couple of years, and we had one and a half kids, one kid and one on the way, and still married to that same beautiful woman. And now we have seven kids and... 12, almost 13 grandkids. So eh, actually almost 14 grandkids. So it's been a great journey. I started out my career in the Air Force as a human factors behavioral scientist. Is that a thing, sir? Is that you didn't make that up? I just did now? not make that up. <laughs> okay. That is a thing. So here's how it went, right? Back in those days, we could put seven choices on our dream sheet. And that was choice number eight. Obviously, right. So uh, the Air Force just decided to use my psychology degree, I guess, and do something called human factors, behavioral science, which I had no idea what that was. Turns out it um, has a lot to do with ergonomics, uh, workload studies, and those sorts of things. So I did that for four years from an Intel perspective. Okay. I did not go to Intel school, but I was working in an intelligence organization. So I'm looking at foreign technology, foreign weapon systems, and those sorts of things, and trying to figure out how we, the Air Force, U.S. Air Force, could best take advantage of, exploit, and give advantage to our friendly warfighters. So I did that for four years, and it was okay. It wasn't my passion, but I made some good friends, and I think I did some pretty good work there, but I really wanted to do something else. Right. And I thought maybe if I had to go through the Air Force doing this thing, I probably wouldn't last very long. So... I really wanted to work with people. That was my thing. So I found this thing called personnel, which maybe your civilian audience might understand it as human resources. And that's what I decided to pursue. And the Air Force was gracious enough to give me a job in that area and cross-train me into personnel. So I've done that for the bulk of my career. I've had various jobs in the personnel community, human resource community. Working assignments, working complaints, working equal opportunity, working um, command positions, various types of assignments in that area. Right. And I enjoyed that. It was great. And I uh, started to uh, think that, yeah, maybe I like this Air Force thing. So I'm now in the senior captain kind of realm. So can I pause you right yeah, there? Yeah, go so, right ahead. So it sounded like up to that point, 
you hadn't yet decided upon a career in the Air Force. You were still leaving the door open that maybe there was something else that you would want to go do? Yes, uh, although I didn't know what that other thing was because okay. ever since I decided to go into ROTC, I thought, yeah, the military is great, 20 years, retirement, medical, all those things that we talk about. But I just, my first four years, I wasn't having a whole lot of fun. It was okay, but it just wasn't fun. It wasn't sure. my passion. So I did a master's degree in education counseling, undergrad in psychology. So I thought, well, if the Air Force doesn't work out, maybe I'll do something in the counseling realm. Okay. But as time went on, I'm getting into the six, seven, eight year point here now. I'm starting to like what I'm doing and things are going well for me career wise. So, and then at some point we were able to go overseas, which was fantastic. And I got a really good job there as a military personnel flight commander. And from there, don't know how it happened, but I was able to pick up a school opportunity. Well, actually I went to a AMC first, and then I picked up a school opportunity to Air Command Staff College. And I think that's really kind of when my career, when I decided that, yeah, this is probably something that I can do for a little while longer because things okay. were looking better for me development-wise. Right. I had some bosses that were taking care of me and things were working out. So from there, I catapulted into a squadron command job, and that was great. Actually, I was up the road here at Hill Air Force Base and then moved on into a couple of other deputy command type jobs and other command jobs and ultimately ended my command time as a wing commander out at Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst, which was really fantastic. It's joint, lots of great missions going on there, and I just had a great time yeah. doing that. Then I went to the Pentagon for a couple of years, right? Everybody's got to do the Pentagon Oof. time. <laughs> <laughs> so From wing command to the Pentagon. Right. Uh, sometimes I say that's like being from hero to zero, right? So uh, <laughs> here's your coffee. So did the Pentagon for a couple of years, but I think I had a fortunate circumstance to be able to work some really great projects at the Pentagon while I was there for those two years. Right. And uh, then I sort of told the Air Force, hey, I'd really like to be an ROTC commander, and that's the place I'd like to do it, and they sent me here. So that's the short version of my career, and I've enjoyed, now I can say I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's been awesome. Right. That's good. If you don't mind, give us a peek into some of those projects that you were working there at the Pentagon, how they relate to our audience and officer development and that sort of thing. Okay. So one of the projects, I worked with a very small team of folks, and we were carved out of the normal A1 staff to sort of look at the future and see how we can improve specifically officer development, officer progression, and those sorts of things. So we took a look at the way we select instructors, specifically like ROTC instructors, right? for example. For a while, ROTC and other instructor billets has been considered a job that uh, is sort of nowhere. Um, some people called it career killer, but we know that this is a very important job right. that captains and majors and lieutenant colonels do for our Air Force. In fact, they are bringing up tomorrow's Air Force, right? So we knew there was value in this job. We, When I say we, I'm talking the Air Force enterprise knew that there was value. But unfortunately, uh, through some data and some research, we found that people weren't doing very well on the backside of a job like this. Right. So the task was to uh, figure out how we can incentivize folks to come into the job and then how we can take care of officers when they leave okay. the job. So the new 
term that many people have heard, Officer, Instructor, Recruiter, Special Duty, OIRSD. That's one of the projects that my team that I was on worked. And so far, I think it's going pretty well. We've had a couple of boards where we've selected instructors and commanders for ROTC duty. And we'll see the long-term study, you know, over the next three or four or five, 10 years, how it goes. Sure. But that was one of the projects. Another project that we worked, I got in on the very tail end of this part of the project, but uh, Talent Marketplace, which is a fairly new way we're assigning officers uh, in the Air Force. That was just coming online and we were just doing some testing with it when I got to the Pentagon, but we were able to find that it was beneficial and we uh, fielded that uh, system, Talent Marketplace, and now it's pretty robust and it does a pretty good job for us. And what it does is it gives officers more voice in their assignment. So uh, in the past, sometimes the assignments that were available were unknown or somewhat skewed or hard to find specifically what jobs were available where. Uh, so Talent Marketplace sort of puts an Amazon approach to assignments. So you can go out and shop for an assignment. But also, um, gaining commanders can see who's interested right. in the officer, and they can actually bid on those officers. And so the officer gets a chance to say where they want to go and have a voice in their assignment process, and the gaining commanders get to have a voice in who they hire. So, right. uh, so that's been pretty good. Another thing that the team tackled was the below-the-zone promotion. Mm -hmm. Getting rid of that was a thing that we thought would be um, beneficial. Many times we found that sometimes officers were being promoted in the Air Force very early, not having some experience that maybe they might need that would help them as they move on into more senior ranks when we're talking joint jobs with sure. other services. So those are a few things that I was able to be part of at the Pentagon. I won't take credit for, you know, my ideas are those sorts of things. This is a great team of people coming together and doing some good things for our Air Force. No, but what I like about it is it shows that at the highest levels of the Air Force, there is a very proactive and strategic effort to develop officers and continue to make improvements, recognizing that over the past few decades, there are some gaps that need to be addressed, some things that are leaving talent behind or forcing or making it so that talent wants to leave the Air Force when we need them to stay in, continue to grow, develop, and become those senior officers like you and those that you were working with there at the Pentagon in order to continue making the Air Force better. Right. You know, we oftentimes called it the war on talent, right? So we felt like we were in a war to compete with industry to bring in some great people right. for the Air Force. And for sure, senior leaders, and I was routinely working at the general officer level um, senior leaders were very interested in this topic and giving us a lot of support, us meaning the team that was putting this together, giving us a lot of support and helping us to push many of these things across the goal line. Right. So just in summary, if you don't mind, give us kind of a broad overview of why the Air Force cares about developing its officers and why there is such an office like this and a team like yours and people like you who are focused on developing the officer from day one, they receive their commission through day last that they retire and they leave the force? Well, there's probably many reasons. I'll just cover a couple that come to mind very quickly. But I really believe that our senior leaders in the Air Force understand, well, I know that they understand that it's the people that get the mission done. Right. If we don't have quality people in the Air Force, in the Space Force, and I'm sure other services would agree, if we don't have quality people, if we don't retain those people, 
well, let's back up. If we don't recruit quality right. people. I, I was actually going to go yeah. there. Glad you made the Let's back up. Made that. If we don't recruit people, and we're talking recruiting in the maybe junior high, high school time, right? Right. We want to get young people interested in the Air Force and now the Space Force. And our senior leaders realize that. And there's various avenues at which we can do that. But specifically, let's talk about people that are already in the Air Force or the Space Force as officers, right? So our senior leaders realize that these people have a choice. You know, sometimes we have an active duty service commitment where we have to serve X number of years, but many times we can walk. And our senior leaders understand that the more people walk, the less talent we're able to retain. Sure. And I mean, let's be honest here. Our enemies are pretty smart and we need smart people in the Air Force. We need smart people in the Space Force to keep us competitive right. so that we can essentially do what we're supposed to do, which is conquer the foe, right? We're supposed to go out there and keep our nation safe and preserve freedom and those sorts of things. So our senior leaders realize that if they don't listen to what people are saying, people being officers and other folks in the, in the military, if we don't listen to their concerns, which is one reason why Talent Marketplace came out, was a concern about the assignment system. Yeah. If we don't listen to those concerns and if we don't respond, then we might just lose some very, very talented people, which takes away our competitive advantage. So I think that's the main reason why such an office was created in the air staff, to look at the future, to look at how we are developing officers. What tools do we have in our toolkit to make the Air Force more attractive to come in and also to make the Air Force more attractive to stay in? Right. Yeah, it actually sounds very similar to the acquisitions process in that we recognize that down the road, there's going to be this need for a specific type of equipment, or maybe that need exists now, but there's a lead time to develop that equipment, to get it designed, purchased, built, and then brought in and make it fully mission qualified. The same is also happening with our officers in that we are seeing there's a need and we need to start now because there's a lead time from that, that kid who's still in junior high right now but we want to get them interested so that they are preparing themselves, developing themselves toward the day that they can join in a sessions program like ROTC or OTS or the Air Force Academy. And then once they're in the Air Force, we need to get them fully mission qualified, just like we would that piece of equipment and continue to develop them, hone their skills, prepare them for the fight that's coming or the fight that's already here. But then there's also that tail end of how do we continue to use that piece of equipment or capability that's there in the officer through the rest of their career. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it takes a lot of time to, no matter what your AFSC is, we're going to invest time and money in you to train you up to make sure that you're capable and competent to do what you want to do. Right. And so we'd rather retain that talent, right? We know that there's going to be attrition, so we have to plan for that. But, but really, this is about attracting uh, the right people and bringing folks in that want to be here that are qualified and training them up and then having them accomplish their mission in a very professional manner for the uh, service. Yeah, that's really good. It just gives me hope for the future of our Air Force, knowing that there is this dedicated office to the development of the Air Force officer. So there is a dedicated office, but I just want to highlight. So my office, when I was there, had six or seven, up to maybe 10 people at a time. But we would bring in really hundreds of folks from the Air Force two or three times a year 
to talk about these topics, right? So we're talking general officers, senior SES folks, senior civilians in the military, senior enlisted folks, lots of interest coming in. People wanted to attend these sessions, right. called them workforce summits. People wanted to attend these sessions to be a part of the solution. We also brought in very young, very junior captains and majors and lieutenant colonels because we wanted to hear all voices. We wanted sure. to hear what was going on in the Air Force. And being in the Pentagon, you know, sometimes we call it the ivory tower or the whatever. We don't always hear that. The puzzle palace. Yeah, the puzzle palace. <laughs> we don't always hear that. And so we wanted to bring in folks from the, you know, greater Air Force to listen to us. So there was literally hundreds of people involved in those specific projects that I mentioned. Yeah, that's great. So I have an idea in my mind because I've lived the experience and I've been an instructor in Air Force ROTC. I have an idea of what the development looks like for someone who's coming in as a cadet. They receive their commission. They're growing into that senior captain and preparing for what comes next. But I have not made that transition. My co-host, Reed, he just barely promoted to FGO, just barely promoted to major. He is now an FGO, but still very green at it. And so if you wouldn't mind taking some time to kind of outline your personal take, but maybe also the bigger Air Force's take on that transition from company grade officer to field grade officer and how that all plays into the development of the officer over the course of their career. Okay. So when we think of company grade officers or when I think of company grade officers, I'd like to see a technical expert, somebody that knows their job, right. knows their AFSC and is very competent in that thing, whatever the thing is. It could be flying, it could be maintenance, it could be logistics, it could be personnel, finance, whatever. So we want somebody that's technically competent to do the job that we are paying them to do. If the AFSC wasn't important, we wouldn't have it, right? Right. We want experts in that field. So in the CGO years, that's what we should be doing. We should be investing time in our officers, in our lieutenants and captains to make them technically competent so that they are the go-to person to get whatever job it is done in a very efficient manner, right? As we start to transition, maybe even in the senior captain promoting to major into the major years, we now want that officer to look a little bit more broadly than just their career field. Okay. We want them to become more organizationally aware, maybe operationally, right? If we look at tactical, operational, strategic, this is maybe the operational time, right? So we want them to become more aware of what else is going on in the larger unit, maybe not just their mission, but maybe the larger unit, maybe the larger squadron or the group or the wing. And we want them to be able to lead in those areas. And in fact, you know, there is, um, I'll quote an AFI for you, right? So there's an uh -oh. AFI 1-2, right? It's commander's responsibilities. Okay, we've right? mentioned that one here on the podcast before. Right. Okay, so it's not so threatening. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It's actually not a bad AFI, right? And it talks about four things, and I'm sure you know what the four things are, right? Four things that are important for officer development. And we approach these things different as the officer's growing from CGO all the way up through senior officer. But the four things are leading people, improving the unit, managing resources, and executing the mission, right? So as you get into those FGO years, we want you to start looking a little bit broader at those areas, right? right. Start understanding budgets, start understanding what it takes to lead a group of people or a group of technicians to accomplish a mission. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the perspective of the FGO needs to be broader than the technical expert. Right. 
you need to start understanding a little bit more about all the partners and everything, all of the other organizations and the other people, the other technical experts that come in and support the mission that you're doing. That's a very kind of a broad brush approach on the transition from CGO to FGO, looking broader. Yeah. So it reminds me of, if you're familiar with uh, Jocko Willink, his book, Extreme Ownership, he talks in there about the leader needing to position themselves in such a way that they not only are aware of what their unit, their immediate group of people are doing, but they can also take a step back and look around. And it sounds like that's what needs to happen, both literally in the FGO years, but also developmentally and metaphorically, if you will, that the FGO needs to take that next step up and maybe away a little bit from what's going on at the unit level so that they can see the bigger picture, make those connections across an organization, across a group, across a wing, across even a numbered Air Force or a MAGCOM, even a full Air Force, right? Because we take those FGOs and we put them in those staff positions where they're looking at a far bigger picture of what's going on in the Air Force than they would down at the base level. Right. We want them to gain an enterprise perspective, let's call it, right? Okay. So not only their mission, their unit, but we want them to understand how the enterprise works together to accomplish a larger mission. And maybe as a junior major, you're not going to be looking at you know, headquarters, Air Force, maybe you're going to be looking at the group or the wing, but it's important for a young FGO to start to understand how the pieces connect together in order to get a mission done. You need to understand budgets. You need to understand how to take care of people. We need to understand how to actually accomplish a mission. And there's a lot of partners that make that mission happen. So the enterprise perspective is very important as you go into the FGO ranks. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that need to start making those connections. I am curious though, what are some of the things that maybe that office back at the air staff is doing to, I guess, maybe not codify or standardize, but to proactively support that development of helping the FGO come out of their CGO years and start to raise their vision and open up their perspective? Well, we spent a lot of time in the Air Force talking about mentoring. Okay. We want senior officers. We want squadron commanders. We want folks that have some years in the Air Force to mentor and to groom their young officers, to help them understand and appreciate this thing that we're talking about, right? right? So really, I think feedback is one of the things that senior leaders are very interested in. And I don't think I'll shock anybody by saying we don't really do feedback very well in the Air Force. Okay, pause there, sir, because I got to tell you a story. Go ahead. You already know this story. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. When you came into Air Force ROTC to take command of Detachment 855, one of the very first things that you did was to sit down with your various officers and provide them an initial feedback, right? And um, along with that came a form that you had me fill out to put in my goals, you know, the things that I hope to accomplish over the next year, as well as some of your expectations. What you wanted me to do in my role as an instructor here in ROTC, my role as a flight commander, being in charge of the cadets and that sort of thing. And that was the very first time in my, at that point, eight years in the Air Force that I had ever received an initial feedback. Well, I'm happy to say that I was able to provide that to you. <laughs> Thank but I, you, sir. But I won't take credit 
um, <laughs> for being all that. Let me tell you a story. So I'm a colonel at an AMC, right. Air Mobility Command. My boss is a four-star general. And he sat me down and he did the very same thing that I did with you. So that taught me a lesson. If the four-star general has time to give this kind of feedback, well, then I ought to do it for my folks. Right. And I will admit to you, up until that time, I had been off and on in giving the feedback. But he really taught me that lesson. I look up to him. So back to feedback. We don't do it very well in the Air Force. Pockets of us try to do it very well. We have the tools, I believe. We have enough tools to do feedback. But I think that if we actually did feedback, and I'm not talking specifically about the formal feedback that you describe, although that's important. But I think if we did more informal and formal feedback in the Air Force, we would have what you're asking for. We would have a CGO that understands what it means to cross the bridge to being an FGO. Now, that's all supposing and assuming that the bosses that are providing the feedback are competent right. and are squared away and are doing those things that they need to be doing. But in the Air Force, we like to think that we hire commanders that are competent, right? And if a commander's not competent, we'll have ways to not make them a commander anymore. Right. So all that assumes that the people that are in place in those leadership positions, number one, know their job, and number two, know how to take care of people. That's part of that. 1-2, leading people, <laughs> right. is feedback. <laughs> if we just go back to our basics, I think we'll be pretty good. Yeah, that's definitely something that I have learned from you, and I really appreciate also seeing the connection to the general officer who also valued it. And it's why that process of you learn from them, then you teach me, and then I take that and teach that to my junior officers that I'm going to associate with as I continue in my career, and also the airmen who I supervise, that's how these things you know, start to take root, is we see it done, we see it done correctly, we see it done effectively, and we see the value in those types of practices. And that goes to our retention, I'd argue, but that goes right. to our retention. If we help people understand their strengths and their weaknesses, and we actually help them with their weaknesses and make those become strengths, then people are happier where they're at. Sure. And they want to be here, here being the Air Force or the Space Force. They're happy where they're at, but then they also see what's possible. Right. They see there's a future for them in the Air Force. Either they value the position that you are in and they aspire to that. They want to be your replacement, if you will, or they see that there are other possibilities within the Air Force, either you know, moving to another career field or another base or another MAGCOM and can continue to grow and develop as an airman or as an officer in that regard as well. Right. That happened to me as a cadet right here in Date 855. There was a major and a colonel in particular that they probably did this with every cadet, but I thought I was super cool because they were doing this with me. They were taking me sort of under their wing and they were helping me understand a little bit about the Air Force. And that put in my mind, you know what? If I make it to colonel, I'd really like to be that guy. Yeah. I'd like to be the guy that's helping the cadets. And here you are, sir. And here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked. It did. It did. Magically enough. <laughs> That's great. What are some other things that you see that the Air Force is doing proactively to help the CGO grow into that FGO and eventually a senior officer? Well, there's been a little bit of talk about this. It's not like out on the streets yet, but I know that we are going through, we as an Air Force are going through our officer performance report to try to improve it. Because let's face it, 
right now, if you look at anybody's officer performance report, OPR, they're all pretty excellent, pretty standard, or pretty perfect, right? Sir, I am the best officer That's in the right. Air Force. You are. And you signed it. So That's right. It must be true. That's right. It must be true. So some people call it an inflated system, right? right? Okay. So I know that folks in our senior leader positions and in the Pentagon in particular are taking a look at that process, how we evaluate officers. We went through a, a revision of the enlisted performance report a few years ago that has mixed reviews now, but learned some lessons from that. And we're taking a look at the officer performance report. I don't have a whole lot of details on what we're actually doing with that, but that is another way. It probably goes actually back to feedback, Okay. but this is a little bit more serious, right? Because this is your annual report card. This is telling you, okay, I've told you these things in your feedback and here it is signed by two or three bosses. And this is really what I think of you, right? This is how you're doing. And that, if you're familiar with the Marine Corps model, of performance reports or the Navy's version of a fit rep, they have a little bit more robust way of quantifying performance. And so that's one thing that our personnel folks in the Air Force are taking a look at is how do we put some rigor behind our officer performance report? How do we make sure that we, when we stratify an officer, it really means something, Yeah. right? Stratification is kind of all over the place sometimes. So how do we how do we sort of give that some left and right limits and help it make it mean something for an officer's progression, an officer's development? Right. Okay, good. So more details should be forthcoming. I know right. it's been a, a big topic of conversation in in and around the Air Force. There have been roadshows and demonstrations of what the OPR may look like, but it hasn't been solidified yet, not made public or live. Right, exactly. Okay. I have a question. I'm curious about this idea of career broadening, of you know, sending someone to you know, outside of their career field to do something like be an instructor at ROTC or maybe go to a joint assignment where they're working outside of the Air Force, but with the different branch or service. How does career broadening in that regard help to develop the CGO or transition that new major to, again, broaden their perspective, open up their vision and prepare to serve at that higher level in the Air Force? Right. So I don't think it can do anything but help. I find it hard to believe that having a broadening experience would not increase an individual's enterprise perspective like we talked about earlier, right? It's in the name, right? Right. So anytime I think when we have an opportunity, we as officers have an opportunity to get out of our, sometimes we call it tribe or our normal AFSC and go experience something else, I think is good. Now, timing sometimes might be important, right? Okay. You may not want to do that right when you're coming up on a promotion board or an important school board or a command board, right? You might want to be inside your career field during those times. Because of the way that promotions are structured, that Currently. it's done within right. the career field, you're not competing against everybody. You're competing against those people in your same or similar AFSC. Right. And many times boards are going to be looking at like, what have you done for me lately, right? So yeah. the board is going to be interested in what you're doing for the career field. And that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I'll give you an example. So my son right now is a captain in the Air Force, and he was selected for a broadening opportunity called Education with Industry, EWI, right? Yep. So um, he is now working at VMware as a VMware employee, and he's learning all about their techniques, their processes, their procedures, their technologies. He's a cyber officer. So what does that do for him when he comes back? He has more experience, more knowledge, and he can bring that to the Air Force. It opens up his enterprise perspective to the civilian sector, sure. and then he can use that in the Air Force. So anytime 
that we have an opportunity as officers to do something that's a little bit different, to go into an area where maybe we're uncomfortable, but we can learn, I would say take advantage of it. So how does an officer navigate that timing, that you know, making sure that they are prepared for when the opportunity arises and the timing is right for them to go do that thing? Or how do they avoid doing it at the wrong time? Right. So I think first and foremost, what the officer ought to be doing, and we're talking a CGO or an FGO, what they ought to be doing is talking to their boss, probably their squadron commander. Right. Squadron commander's been there, done that, presumably, again, because we hire squadron commanders that are competent and that we trust uh, in those positions of importance. So I think if the officer is not having a conversation with the squadron commander, that needs to happen very soon. Right. Because the squadron commanders can give the advice that that officer needs. And more likely than not, that squadron commander is going to be from the career field that the officer is currently in. So they will have expertise in the development of that AFSC, of that officer. So I would recommend first and foremost that they talk to their squadron commander to get some ideas on what's available, what's out there. And then, you know, look at the messages that are out on AFPC, look for the opportunities. And if they find an opportunity, an education opportunity or another job opportunity or becoming an instructor or whatever it is, Look into that, see what the requirements are, and talk to their boss about it and kind of figure out what would be the good timing. Also, talking to people that have done it or that are in those kinds of jobs right now yeah. might give them some good expertise, some good knowledge on timing specifically for them and in their situation. Okay. And obviously, the hope is that the squadron commander is going to be able to help that officer make those connections, say, hey, I know a guy, I'd love to put you in touch with them. Right. Exactly. And those connections are very, very important. Networking, yeah, we call it, right? So that's very important. Yeah. Good point. Okay. So just to kind of summarize, there are some ways that the Air Force is helping the CGO transition into that FGO part of their career. They're hoping there's going to be some feedback, both formal and informal. That also includes the OPR, which may be changing. But there's also these opportunities where the CGO the officer can come out of their career field and go see some other things that's going on around them, both in the Air Force, but also outside of it. Your son is a perfect example that there may be an opportunity for you to go literally outside of the Air Force, work in the civilian world, get some experience, some knowledge, and bring that back in that's going to help you to continue to grow and develop. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That sounds really good. Unfortunately, not everybody gets those opportunities. Nope right? So what recommendations do you have to the officer who doesn't get to go outside of their career field and do those career broadening things or doesn't have the boss who provides them frequent feedback? What can the individual officer do, especially as they're navigating that transition from CGO to FGO to continue to grow and develop and prepare themselves for the greater responsibility that comes with the FGO ranks? Right. Great question. And um, I will tell you, I have probably applied for more things and been denied than things I've applied for and I've gotten, right? right. So you can ask my son, right? I was an EWI applicant and I did not get it. <laughs> my son got it, right? So he says, hey, dad, see that? <laughs> I said, well, I'm a colonel and you're not. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes. Yet. <laughs> yeah. So to those that apply and aren't able to get in, get into those positions or those opportunities, or maybe those that think that they have a boss that is not giving them, uh, you know, the help that they need. I would say, keep applying, 
right? Stay motivated in trying to do your best where you're at. You've heard the expression, this is not news to anybody, bloom where you're planted, right? Right. So if we bloom where we're planted, in most cases, again, we hire commanders that we think are competent and that we trust. In most cases, your boss is going to recognize you and you're going to get on his or her radar and you'll have that opportunity to talk to them and you'll have that opportunity to say, hey, this is really what I want to do. I've tried this. It hasn't worked. What do you think? So follow your passion, whatever your passion is, right? So for me, I wasn't really digging the whole human factors, behavioral science thing, right? And I was at the point where I thought, well, maybe I'll get out. But I continued to try to pursue what I thought was better for me, which is working with people. And I finally found it. And it wasn't the first time I asked, right? It was like the third or fourth or fifth or sixth thing I tried to get out of what I was doing and finally got into something that I liked. So you've got to be persistent. You've got to continue to try to communicate with your boss to do what you know, what you think is going to be best for you and for your career. Okay. Don't give up. Yeah. Reed and I talk about this all the time. Our audience is probably rolling their eyes right now about being self-aware, understanding yourself, what your passions are, what the opportunities are for you and your skill set, and taking ownership of your career, making choices that are best for you and your family if you have one, and doing the best that you can within the policy constraints and within the way that the Air Force is organized to do the things that you want. And you know, once you've defined success for yourself, pursue that with a vigor. Right. Exactly. You know, if you're not passionate about what you're doing or what you want to do, then who's going to be passionate for you? Right. You've got to drive yourself to do these things. And sometimes it takes a lot of work. Likely not going to get your first request, right? Don't accept the first no as the final answer. Right. Yeah. That's really good. So the Air Force cares deeply about developing its officers, helping them to transition from being a CGO to becoming that effective FGO. What do things look like beyond that point? How do you then go from major to lieutenant colonel to now colonel such as yourself, sir, and you position yourself, develop yourself in such a way that you're prepared to take on that much higher level of leadership as a senior officer in the Air Force? I think if officers take advantage of the things that the Air Force provides, there's a lot of good preparation to become an officer of more senior rank, you know, lieutenant colonel or colonel, right? So there's a number of school opportunities, right? We have Air Command and Staff College, both resident and correspondence. We have Air War College, right? Same thing. And those courses, those year-long courses, really are pretty good if you do the reading, If you get involved in the dialogue, networking with the folks that you're either in your seminar with or whether it's a correspondence or whether you're there at Maxwell. So if you take advantage of those opportunities, that is one great way to prepare for the more senior ranks, the more senior responsibilities. But another thing that I think we do pretty well is we incrementally give officers more responsibility. So they might be an element chief and then a flight chief and then a flight commander. And then, you know, they might move up the ranks. They might become an executive officer. Being an executive officer was a really good opportunity for me because I was able to work with a senior officer, a colonel, as a captain, listen to the discussions that are going on, understand how they make decisions and take notes, right? So as a very junior captain, I was able to witness and watch senior officers work. So those kinds of opportunities could be considered broadening opportunities because they're not necessarily in your AFSC. Right. If you can become an aide or an executive officer or something like that on a MAGCOM staff, 
that's another way that you can prepare yourself for the more senior ranks. But then, really, a lot of this is uh, a little bit of on-the-job training, right? Once you're in the job, you're sort of forced to become good at your job, and you talk to your peers, you talk to other folks that are around you that are of the same rank, ask what works well for them, what doesn't work well for them, and you're going to make mistakes, and you've got to accept that. You've got to understand that you're not going to be perfect in the first time you're in your squadron command job or the first time you're in a, you know, a colonel job, those sorts of things. Understand that you're going to make mistakes and just learn from those and improve. Yeah, having that growth mindset that all things are going to work together for your good and your development as so long as you have the right perspective on it. Right. I think it's important that once you get into those more senior ranks as a lieutenant colonel or colonel, you have to then understand that the people that are working for you are now where you were. They're now going to be the ones maybe making the mistakes. Now they're going to be looking to you for that mentorship, for that feedback, for those sorts of things. So that's important to understand that it's now your responsibility to bring those folks up and help them become who you are. Yeah. Okay. So there's a number of things that the Air Force has put in place, just like it has for the CGO to FGO transition. There's a number of things for the FGO major and lieutenant colonel transition to colonel, you know, formalized things like being an exec, having increasing levels of responsibility, going to these different schools. But it sounds like the officer still needs to take individual responsibility for their own development. Most certainly. I mean, really, the one who probably cares the most about your career is you. Sure. But if you make your career all about you, then you've got the wrong sight picture, right? Because this is a big team, and we need to help each other on the team to achieve the mission, right? So there's a fine balance there in not being a careerist, somebody that's all about themselves, rather being somebody that's a team player. But your point is exactly right. That if you don't take charge of your own career, if you don't try to do things that's going to help you, then your chances of succeeding, your chances of being happy, your chances of doing well and being healthy are slim. Right. So let's say the officer who wants to make it to 06 is doing everything right. They hit those career broadening opportunities at the right time. They've done well on their feedback and performance reports. They're promoting at the right time for a major and lieutenant colonel. What do you say to uh, someone who's checking all the right boxes, developing themselves, but then doesn't get selected for 06? What happened, sir? <laughs> well, so you're looking at somebody who thought they were doing pretty well for 07, right? Oh, okay. But it didn't turn out that way. Right. Right. So I just made the best of it. I felt sorry for myself for about 30 seconds and then I moved on. All right. I think at that point, you have to understand that this name tape, the one I'm pointing to, U.S. Air Force. Yeah, you're not pointing at your name right now, sir. You're pointing at... That doesn't define me. Right. What defines me is this one, uh -huh. the name, Thaden, right? So when you've worked so hard for something and you don't achieve it, I mean, hopefully you've had that experience. I mean, hopefully you've been on a sports team and you really wanted to win, but you didn't. So understanding how to accept, let's call it failure or not success or whatever, understanding how to do that is very important, I think, in human development. Yeah. Because not all humans are able to achieve what they want to achieve, right? So the officer that's in that situation, they didn't make lieutenant colonel or they didn't make colonel or whatever. My heart goes out to them. I know what it feels like to not have achieved what you want to achieve. But you have to understand that this uniform 
or this Air Force isn't what defines you. What defines you is what's inside, right? How good of a person are you? And you can control that. You can control that. And if the Air Force says, sorry, we're not going to promote you, well, that's okay. You can go on and stay in the Air Force in that rank and continue to be a great airman, or you can decide to get out when your time is to get out, and you can take all the things that you've learned in the Air Force, don't be bitter about it, take all those things that you've learned and put it to good use somewhere else. And that's exactly what I've decided to do. I know I'm not going to make the next rank. I knew that a couple of years ago. So I pursued something that I thought that I'd be pretty good at, that I thought would bring me some joy, which is this job right here. Oh, you're not going to say your job at the Pentagon? <laughs> that was a great job, but I like the hours here better. <laughs> right. That's what I would say. Yes, sir. That's such good advice. No matter where you are in your career, that's really important. Whether you're in the Air Force or not, no matter where you are at this stage in your life, recognizing that there are going to be times where you don't get what you want, that there are circumstances outside of your control. But the thing that you do get to control is yourself, your reaction to it, and what you're going to do next. That's right. Exactly right. Control your attitude. It's so good. I love that you brought that out again for us because it has been brought up in this podcast, but it's so good to hear it in this other perspective because there are lots of people who come into the Air Force thinking, yeah, I would love to be a lieutenant colonel. I'd love to be a colonel, general officer. But the percentages bear out that that's probably not going to happen, right? Right. You know, sometimes it's just about timing. Timing was pretty good for me as I was going up through the ranks to become a colonel. Timing. People that were in place, not so good for me when I was coming up for the 07, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that you're a terrible person or nope. a terrible officer, sir. Nope. In fact, you're probably one of the best officers that I've ever met, ever worked with. Well, thank you. Thank you for setting that example for me. But even for you, there came a time where things just didn't work out for you. Right. I had a boss once that said, at some point, everyone gets passed over. Right. So, okay, maybe not the chief of staff of the Air Force. Yeah, but well... That's one person, right? <laughs> but at some point... Maybe they don't get selected to be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Right, right. At some point, everyone's going to get passed over and just accept it. Yeah, that's so good. But let's say it does happen. Let's say you do get what you want. Yeah. Let's say you do get to be a colonel. You do get to be a wing commander. You do get to be the senior officer in the unit or at the squadron level, or the wing, or even you get to be the chief of staff of the Air Force. Obviously, you have not done that, nor will you ever, nope. but you have been that top officer, that commander. What's it like up there? Well, there's nothing like it. I mean, it is absolutely fantastic. And I don't mean this in a pompous way or an egotistical way, but there is nothing better, I think, than being the commander whether it's squadron, group, wing. That's where I've commanded at. And why do I say that? Not because it's a powerful thing, not because it's a big ego, those sorts of things. It's because you have the opportunity to influence people and to make a positive difference. And that is why I wear this uniform. Mm -hmm. Because I want to make a positive difference, number one, for the country. But I love to make a positive difference in people's lives. And the commander has the authority to do that. The commander has the resources to make life good for a squadron or for a group. The commander has the opportunity to course correct when things aren't going well. 
to provide discipline, to get rid of folks that aren't pulling their weight, to bring people in that want to be part of the team. The commander has all that at their fingertips, as long as they understand and respect the position that they're in. Right. So for me, some of my favorite times in the Air Force has been when I've been able to command and to lead an organization, whether it's 100 people to 4,000, I think, was in my wing. I've had the opportunity to lead those folks and to help them accomplish their mission and to see the smiles on their face when they do something, when they accomplish something, or to you know, help them wipe their tears when they don't get something that they wanted, right? That, for me, is really a fantastic opportunity. I just absolutely loved it. I cherish my time as, as the commander at Joint Base McGuardix Lakers, and I don't think they could have put me in a better position mm-hmm. because I love working with the other services. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. You know, listening to you talk about command and see, I'm here in the same room with you so I can see your face as you're <laughs> talking about your time as a commander and feeling your excitement about it and the passion that you had for it. What would you say to somebody like me? And I'm still kind of on the fence about this whole command thing. Mm-hmm. I think that I want to be a commander, but I'm not sure yet. And I've been an officer for a while now, and I've been in positions of authority, but never you know, a G-series orders commander, right? Mm-hmm. So what would you say to somebody like me who's on that fence about pursuing command? Should I go for it? Why should I go for it? Why should I maybe consider other directions? What would you say to someone like me? First and foremost, I'd say if you don't have thick skin, you may not want to be a commander because you're going to find out all your faults. 50% of the people are going to love you. 50% of the people are going to hate you. Go look at reddit.com and look up Thaden, right? <laughs> uh, for our audience, maybe don't do that. <laughs> the point is, being a commander is a privilege. And I think it's a privilege that requires a lot of work. And it's not all that easy all the time because you're always on parade. Let me put it that way. Okay. Always on parade. Every action that you do, every decision that you make, is going to be questioned. And people are going to love it or people are going to hate it. So I think you ought to have that sort of analysis of your self-reflection, right? If you think you can handle that kind of a situation, well, then why would you not want to be a commander? Why would you not want to influence people? Why would you not want to accomplish a mission and those sorts of things? I think for me, one of the reasons I joined the Air Force is because I like people and I like to lead. Yeah. And I think I'm okay at it. Maybe I'm not the best, but I think I'm okay at it. So in general, I think most officers have that mindset. They want to lead. They want to be leaders. But if that's not you, then maybe you don't pursue it. But I will also say sometimes you may not have a choice. I mean, we do have non-vol types of situations, not necessarily in command, but we do have non-vol types of situations in the Air Force. So I would say to somebody that's sort of on the fence, first of all, do a little self-reflection. Are you willing to step into that environment where there's going to be a lot of good, but there's also going to be some negative? Are you willing to step into that environment? And if you are, then go for it. Learn about yourself. Yeah. And that is one of the reasons why I would want to do it, because I'm not afraid of a little bit of conflict, a little bit of heat from... Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Never would have guessed that. (laughs) Sir, don't give away my secrets. (laughs) I'm not afraid of that. The thing that makes me hesitate is that the other commanders that I've been around... It seems like they had to sell themselves to the Air Force in order to maybe to get that position to begin with and then to thrive in it. They had to give up 
way more of themselves for the Air Force than I feel comfortable doing. So when you say give up themselves, I, maybe I'm going to ask you a question. Help me understand that a little bit more. Sure. What do you mean by they had to give up some of themselves? So one of the easiest ways to understand it is just the hours that they were working and the time that they were spending away from their family. It seemed to me, and maybe I should have had more pointed conversations with them about it, you know, their perspective on it. But it seemed to me that they were putting the Air Force at a much higher priority than some of these other things that I put a higher priority on being faith, family, and self-preservation. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing what the Air Force demanded of them as just as squadron commanders, because those are primarily the commanders that I've been around. It just makes me uneasy wanting to pursue that, thinking that I might have to do the same if I want to do well in a command position. Okay. So yes, commanders are going to spend a lot of hours doing their job, not necessarily at the office, but doing their job. It's not a nine to five job right? by any stretch of the imagination. It's just absolutely not. So having a frank conversation with the family, whoever your family happens to be, would be important in that whole decision as to whether or not you're going to put yourself in for a command board or not. Because your spouse or your significant other, kids or whoever, they have to understand that you're probably going to be around a little less frequently than you were previously. And if you have a supportive family, a supportive network, spouse, significant other, or whatever, you can make it work out. I did. Seven kids. Still made it to most of the soccer games. Still made it to most of the recitals. Didn't make it to all of them, but really tried to explain to the kids why. So I think that there's, you know, there's probably different types of people that spend a lot of time at work. There's maybe some people that just don't want to go home, so they're going to spend time at work. Hopefully that's not the situation, because then there's some other issues going on in life. Right. But there are people that are really invested and really passionate about the mission, really passionate about what they're doing, and they want to make the organization better. Uh, of course, there's people that they are all about them and they want to look good uh, in front of their boss, so they're going to try and make themselves look good, so they'll spend a lot of time at the office you know, endeavoring in that direction. The middle one that I described, the one that's passionate about the organization, passionate about the mission, that's the one that I would hope that you are, right? I would hope that you're spending a lot of time at work because you want those people at work to improve. You want your mission to succeed. You want to be the best, whatever squadron it is. But you have to have conversations with those that are around you because you will spend a lot of time, more than 40 hours a week, in your command job. Right. Definitely. Well, maybe it's something that I have to continue to pick your brain on and as well as other commanders as I continue my career in the Air Force and seeing other examples of command styles. And I think what it comes down to is that I want to make sure that I'm being a commander for the right reasons and in the right way. Right. Yeah. And that's great. That's good self-reflection to go through. Want to do things for the right reasons. All right. Well, sir, this has been really fantastic, really instructive. There's obviously so much more that we could peel back on from the perspective of a senior officer in the Air Force and the many milestones and things that can go into developing a senior officer. But I think we'll have to leave it there for right now. 
and leave the door open for you to return to the podcast at some point. Okay. Especially as you are eyeing your way out <laughs> and considering the transition out of the Air Force from the senior officer perspective. I think that will be beneficial to our audience as well. But I've got two final questions for you. Okay. The first one is that if there is someone who wants to get in touch with you, who wants to pick your brain a little bit about your development as an officer within the force support slash personnel career field, what it was like being a squadron commander or wing commander, maybe they want to learn something about human factors. Behavioral science. Behavioral science. I don't know. If there's someone who wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email. Okay. Frederick.Thaden at BYU.edu. Okay. And that email is good for how much longer, sir? A year and a half. Okay. So there's some time. That's right. But if you are listening to this podcast a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) That's your suspense. After that year and a half, (laughs) we're going to have to find new ways of getting in touch with you, sir. Right. Okay. So we've got contact information. Last question, sir. What does it mean to be an officer? What does it mean to be an officer? The first word that comes to my mind is leadership. But I think there's many things involved in leadership. So being an officer, being a leader to me is about humility. It's about competence. It's about character. It's about being a motivator, being an influencer, being the one that can rally the team in a tough situation and get the mission done. Being a leader that will give the credit to the team and will take the criticism when the mission doesn't go so well. Simply put, I think that's what being an officer is, being a leader. I love it, sir. Thank you so much, Colonel Fred Thaden. It has been a pleasure talking with you. Really enjoy your perspective, your wisdom, also your humility that you just alluded to. I have learned so much from you, both in this instance, but also across my time working for you within the unit, within ROTC, and cannot say thank you enough for taking this time to instruct me and our audience, but also being a mentor to me over the last year and a half. Oh, you're very welcome. Colin, thank you very much to you again and to Reed for inviting me on, and hopefully your listeners gain something from the conversation. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. Colin, I'm really grateful you were able to get that time with Colonel Thaden. There's a number of things in there I want to talk about. First one for me, I really like how he presented the balance that we have to strike of taking care of ourselves and our career, but not being careerist. I thought that was a really interesting discussion. Yeah. It's absolutely true. That phrase, I've heard that from, I mean, early days, right? That no one cares about your career as much as you do. It's totally true. And yet you don't want to be, again, that guy who's always looking out for number one. So, you know, really quickly, what are some thoughts on that balance, Colin? How have you seen that? How have you seen that not go successful? I've got a couple. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting phrase that nobody cares about your career as much as you do. And, you know, logically it makes sense, right? But at the same time, you find yourself thinking, well, how come other people don't care about my career? Well, it's not that they don't care about your career. In fact, you will find that there are uh, points in your career where your supervisors or other peers 
will be pushing you for particular opportunities or things that you should apply for or awards that you should be put in for. And through that, they are demonstrating that they do care about you. But ultimately, the responsibility for the development and progression of your career falls on you. And so you need to care more than anybody else does. Yeah. And I think, too, something that I think helps me draw the line of where, you know, how am I taking care of myself but not looking out only and exclusively for number one at the cost of others right? is especially in that like admin type stuff, right? Because I don't go to the board. What goes to the board, Colin, is my paperwork. And whose responsibility is it to ensure that my paperwork is up to snuff, that all my OPRs are in the PRF, that all my education has been accounted for, that my surf is correct and current, that duty titles are current and correct. That's on me. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that helps me know okay, it is okay for me to take two hours out of my afternoon to make sure all of this paperwork is set up before a board application or something like that. Yeah, because if you don't, you increase the possibility that you'll get passed over for promotion or some other opportunity, which then will limit your ability to continue to serve, lead, and help the Air Force move in the direction that it needs to. Exactly. And on the flip side, I'm not going to you know, sit down and scheme ways to stab my peer in the back proverbially so that I can get that cool job. Yeah, I think that's, you know, those are kind of the differences I think of. But I do think that it's something you will be introduced early in your officer career that you have to take care of yourself. And sometimes that is awkward. That's submitting yourself for a quarterly award, which may just not feel right to you. But it's a delicate balance you'll know what wrong looks like because you'll see that guy or gal and you'll be like, that person is clearly out for themselves and nobody else. Right. So just something to be aware of. I thought that was really good how he presented that dichotomy. Yeah, I think the key here is humility, self-awareness, and that's what's going to help you strike the balance between caring about your career and being a careerist. Yeah, absolutely. So Colin, the next thing I wanted to talk about after our careerist versus taking care of your career, he also... I thought did a fair job of outlining the different expectations that are on field grade officers versus company grade officers. Yeah. And Colin, I do appreciate that you would ask him these questions as I'm, you know, barely entering these waters and I'm still trying to figure it out. Reed, so. you were the reason why I invited him for this interview because I knew that you would benefit. And I'm not saying this in jest at all. I want you to have the tools needed to be successful as you transition from being a CGO into an FGO. Yes. So I appreciate that. And he did a good job of outlining that, you know, CGOs, we expect them to be technical. We expect them to focus on their technical abilities. And that absolutely aligns with everything I've ever seen or experienced during my time as an officer. And that FGOs have to have a more broad operational level of knowledge and awareness and be able to lead at those levels. Yeah. And the question I want to explore with you, Colin, is if we're focused on our technical abilities during our CGO years, is that preparing us to do this operational level awareness and leadership? Or are we just expected to absorb that knowledge, you know, just because we're present? Yeah. I want your thoughts on that. Yeah. The thing that it makes me think about is that it seems like there's a switch that you just flip when you move from captain to major, that all of a sudden your focus and your understanding of how the Air Force works goes from being technical and focused downward to being less technical 
more strategic focused, more operational focused, and your vision is all of a sudden elevated. But it doesn't work that way. Things can't work that way. You can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden, because they pounded the oak leaves onto your shoulder or into your chest or however you get promoted or whatever, however that works, that all of a sudden you have all the knowledge and skills necessary to operate in those two different ways. We need to look at it more as a process as opposed to an event. Yeah, and I think that's, we're kind of getting to the same thing, right? I feel like we we see those things as a CGO. We see the strategic, the operational level of leadership. We may even be invited to meetings that we're clearly not supposed <laughs> right. to be in. Just, <laughs> yeah, just, but we get that exposure. And maybe it's that once you're an FGO, it's the responsibility now. Yeah. Is expected. But again, I still don't know if what is expected of me as a lieutenant and captain is to be excellent at my technical job. I don't know how that prepares me for operational level leadership. Yeah, I don't think it does. So how do we fix that? So Colonel Thaden talked about in his interview about the importance of feedback. That was something that I asked him pretty directly about is, you know, how do you transition the CGO into the FGO? And that was the first thing that he brought up. That's where he went, is the importance of having frequent, both formal and informal feedback. And I shared the story about how he was one of the first and only who has done an initial feedback for me. And that was a very formal thing, but that was not the only time that Colonel Thaden ever provided me feedback. He did it on the regular. He had the... Quite literally, he had his door always open and you could just go stand there and say, sir, do you have a minute and go in there and talk about something. And his mentorship for me as a senior captain looking to move into the FGO ranks here at some point has been invaluable. And that mentorship was always focused on what are we doing right here on the mission you know, at the time in ROTC, we're focused on the training of cadets. So always a conversation around the cadets. But then how does this apply more broadly to the entire enterprise of Air Force ROTC? And then even bigger than that, what's going on in the Air Force? And can we make that connection between what we're doing there at the detachment level and elevating that to what the Air Force is doing and what it needs? Those conversations happened all the time. So that feedback, I think, is really the thing that is critical here and is missing for the vast majority of Air Force officers. Yeah, totally agree. And that story that, you know, you shared and that he shared with you, right, about the time a four-star general sat him down and, and gave him feedback. Yeah. I wish those were not the exceptions. Yeah. But they are. You and I have both been in about 10 years or so now. And... The number of times I've had formal feedback is pretty small. And I think that's a symptom of a broader problem of getting that consistent, regular, like you said, on the daily feedback at all level. And something else, and we kind of talked about this a couple episodes ago, I don't think our feedback is necessarily also focused on the appropriate things. Right. Almost all of the feedback I've ever received has been on my technical performance. I think we do that well. I think I mentioned that in last week's episode when we talked about how, you know, we have a lot of things in the Air Force built and reward technical performance. And we have a lot of technical feedback on, hey, this flight went really well. 
you know, your positioning was appropriate. I mean, for us, it's the briefing went really well. Your, you know, presentation was excellent. The material was, you know, good. Or your ISR plan was brilliant. You know, nobody died, all those good things, right? But nobody, I have never one time outside of my very unique experience as an officer training school instructor, had someone sit down and give me feedback on my leadership. Yeah. And the only reason we did that at OTS is because that's literally all we did. But even then, even then, it was, hey, you finished that class briefing on time. Your transitions between main points was excellent, and the students were able to move to their next event on time. Good job. Exceptionally qualified. Yeah. They didn't say, hey, you know, that feedback session you just had with that student, you could really tell that they connected with you. What have you done over the last six weeks to really connect to them on a personal level so that they would be able to receive that? I never got that feedback. But if we're leaders, where is that feedback happening? Well, I think that feedback needs to be less about the things that are said to you as an individual and on the topic of your performance, but it needs to be more of an ongoing conversation between two officers or two people in general, really. It doesn't necessarily have to be officers. And when I think about feedback, I apologize for this read, but I'm going to bring in a little electrical engineering. I am not an electrical engineer, but this is something that I do remember from when I was in college learning about this kind of thing. I always thought circuits were really interesting, especially feedback loops, where you'd put another wire in on a circuit that would allow for a little bit of voltage to return back upstream and create this loop that helps the circuit accomplish various different things. And I couldn't tell you exactly what those all were, but what it does do, it makes it so that some of the quote unquote information that's further down the line is automatically and concurrently brought back upstream. And it's not like an echo where you have to send the information down and wait for it to come back, but it's instantly there. And that's how a conversation needs to look between the mentor and the mentee. This automatic, ongoing, concurrent conversation between what is going on with respect to, yes, your performance, because that's important. You know, being a technically competent and proficient is necessary for the successful execution of the mission and your development, but also your leadership. And what do we mean by leadership? We mean your ability to influence people and the organization to accomplish something that they wouldn't do on their own. How are you doing in, with respect to your interaction with these people and moving them in the direction that they need to go that they wouldn't do on their own? Yeah. And this is the last thing I want to talk about. My favorite part of this entire interview, Colin, was watching Colonel Thaden, listening to him do that to you in real time. <laughs> it was excellent. It was just, I'm literally on my phone walking around the house being like, this is so good as I'm listening to the interview so that we could do our recording today. I loved, absolutely loved how you two at the end of your time together were having that conversation about, hey, you know, I'm not really sure if I want to be a commander or not, you know, asking for some advice. And I think what we typically think this looks like is the oracle, right? You know, I will go pay <laughs> homage to the gods. I will sit at thy feet and wilt receive knowledge from on high, right? Yeah. I think that's what we expect 
And I think that's what we are often given. I think senior leaders, all of us, are flattered when someone sits in our cube or in our office and says, what do you think, sir or ma'am? We're like, well, you know, I'll pop my jersey here. <laughs> this is what I think. And, you know, you get in your best Samuel L. Jackson voice and you bequeath wisdom to those below. Samuel L. Jackson or Morgan Freeman? Either. I could listen to either of those guys. <laughs> Depends on the setting, right? And, you know, sometimes if you need a little bit more crude, pointed discussion, maybe that's the Samuel L. Jackson right. type. But what I'm getting at is I think that's our vision of what feedback or getting knowledge looks like. But Colonel Thaden just totally appropriately puts this on its ear. And I think the result was better. And I want the audience to notice that this is what good mentorship, good leadership, good conversation looks like. Colonel Thaden was asking you questions. Mm -hmm. He let you lead you to where you needed to go. Yeah. That is like mad skill. That is, you know, turning it up to 11 level of leadership. And it's just brilliant. And here's the other thing. He didn't even have to have the answers. Right? Like, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. And I love that you were able to pick up on that. And lest the audience think that that was something that just occurred within the interview, the reason that conversation was able to take place is because that is the way that Colonel Thaden interacts with me, is that he asks me questions. And that kind of skill, that knowledge and ability does not come naturally, and it doesn't come overnight. Right. That is what we get when someone has been practicing for 30 years. Well, that and that was not the first time that he and I had conversed like that. Absolutely. That's the other bit, right? The other part of this conversation is what does it take to get two people to a place where they can have that level of discussion? That does not happen overnight either. Yeah. There's so much that we could say about this, but the main thing that the audience needs to take away here is that it's something that you have to practice and that you need to do regularly with the people around you. Let's say you're the senior leader. If you want to help someone transition from being a CGO into an FGO, moving from the technical to the strategic, elevating their vision from what's going on at the flight or the unit level to what's going on within the enterprise, within the wing, at the base, or more broadly across the Air Force. These are conversations that you need to have regularly. And within those conversations, you need to be asking questions. And if you're on the other end, if you're the mentee receiving this type of feedback, you need to be open to it. And you need to be okay with being asked those questions because let me be honest about how I felt when Colonel Thaden asked me that question. Well, what do you think, Colin? Why would you say that kind of thing? When he asked me that, I was like, oh, crap, I don't have an answer. Now I have to think about this. Yeah, yeah, because I think you're hitting on a point, right? We kind of were the remote control and drive up window generation, right? We expect to push a button and something happens and we go about our daily lives. And we pushed the button, Colin. You pushed the button, said, give me food. <laughs> and he went, is that really what you want? And you're like, wait, uh, I don't know. It was, so, it was so good. But that's how real growth happens. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of leadership doesn't happen in email. It doesn't happen in an office. It happens with daily interactions at all levels. You know, get out from behind your desk. 
walk around, meet your folks where they are. Yeah, I would work for Colonel Thaden. I've never met him. Just on that conversation alone. Well, unfortunately, Reed, you will never have the opportunity to work for him in uniform. Who knows? There may be an opportunity uh, sometime in the future where you know he's doing his civilian thing, you're doing yours, and there's a relationship builds there. But unfortunately, Colonel Thaden is short for the Air Force. He signaled us to it in the interview that he will be retiring at some point here in the near future, most likely in 22. And we certainly wish him all the best in the time that he has left in the Air Force, but certainly beyond that as well. Outstanding. Colin, anything else before we wrap up today? No, just the the thank you to Colonel Thaden. I am super grateful to count him as a friend, as a mentor, and knowing that this will not be the last time that I talk to him, that I can I reach out to him at any point. And I would encourage the audience to do the same. He provided the email address where you can reach out to him directly. Highly encourage you to do that, to get some information from him. He is absolutely everything that we have said he is here. He is that genuine. He is that humble. He's that capable and competent as a leader, as a mentor. And if you have questions, don't live in darkness. Reach out to him. Ask those questions because he will give you all the time and all of the answers necessary for your success. That's fantastic. Again, thanks to Colonel Thaden. Really appreciate you, Colin, making that episode happen. And with that, this concludes this week's episode of Commission Ed. 